Uh, we're getting... What? That counts as a Chomish. Absolutely, that counts as a Chomish. Okay, so today's class is going to be um, in... Uh, let me backtrack a second. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayetze. Okay, this week's Parsha... Thank you. Thank you, Pat. This week's Parsha... What? Yes. Okay, I wanted to ask why it's called Vayetze. So this week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayetze. It's chapter 28, verse 10. In the blue chumashim, it's on page... 145. 145, okay, it's on page 145. This class is as a schus for Mordechai Yaakov Ben Shmuel He's the father of, he was, his second yard site is coming up on the ninth day of Kislev. He's the father of one of our alum, al, alumnas. Alumnus. No, a woman. A woman is, a, a, is an alumna. One of our alumna. Her name is Yehuda Smith. She lives in Florida with her children and her husband and her children. And uh, so we would like to dedicate this learning for her father's second yard site, which is coming up in two days. Two days. And also, I want to say a happy birthday to Adel. Today's her birthday. Happy um, birthday, so, so today's the day that I became a mother, which is Adel, my oldest. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So that's this class that we're starting. Okay, Parshas Vayetze. What? And for Henry Bus Rock and Borlea, a miraculous recovery. Um, you know, the Abisher is capable of everything, and we're, we're ready to see the miracles. Okay. Uh, thank you for the reminder. Um, okay, so this week's Parsha is Vayete. Did anybody have a chance to look at the Parsha? Yeah. So much happened. Right? I was oh, like, <laughs> so much happening in this Parsha. It's like not even funny. Like, couldn't you just, I, I know we keep saying this in the gracious Parshas. Like, couldn't you spread this out to some of the other, like the other weeks where it's kind of like yeah. less um, <laughs> active, like there's stuff happening, right? So much is going on. There's so much we need to talk about. Elisheva uh, asked, why is it called Vayetzi? So the first, the first reason that it's called Vayetzi is because the first word of the Parsha. The first word of the Parsha, if you look inside, Vayetzi Yaakov mi Beersheva, Yaakov leaves Beersheva, Vayela Charana, and he goes to Charan. Now, that's the easy answer, but is it the fullest answer, right? So we know that it's never the only answer to the question. And one of the things that Hasidus talks about is that this Parsha, we're having this theme coming a lot in Voracious, that this Parsha also describes the neshama coming down into the body and the journey that the soul takes, right? Vayete Yaakumi Beersheva. What was going on in Beersheva? He lived with his parents. His grandparents had been there. He was in a great place. He was, you know, to use soul terminology, he was basking in the glory of God. Vayela Charana. He's going to go to a place called Charan. And does anybody know what Charan means? Charan is a very strong word for anger. Okay? The place Charan, and Rashi says, why is it called Charan? Because it angers God. The behavior of the people in Charan angers God. And Yaakov has to go. He's going to leave this amazingly idyllic set, setting, being with, you know, he lived with his, with, he was alive with his grandparents, Avram and Sarah, Yitzhak and Rivka. He's had, you know, he's had his whole life. He's been learning and studying in this whole shebang. And now, in order to actually fulfill, sorry, his soul's mission, he needs to leave that space and he needs to go to a place that outwardly, God is not super happy. It's a place that's 
We're going to meet the people there. We're going to meet somebody whose name is Lavan. What does Lavan mean? White. 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 But what is Lavan's behavior? No. No. Red. No. <laughs> Can you just repeat the meaning of Haran? Haran is anger. So Lavan, whose name symbolizes white and this angelic sounding looking person, is actually the biggest liar, cheater, thief in the world. And he's the person who says, I love you. I have your best interests at heart. Trust me. Trust me. That felt really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's really that's really what Lavan is going to do. We're going to have to. How does Yaakov deal with Lavan? Is also going to be how our soul is going to be taught to deal with the surroundings, both the place that is obviously um, not so holy and, and special, and also the people in our lives who are like. You don't really want to do that. I I know better. I know you. I know what's good for you. And then. That's the question of like, are they really good for us or are they Lavan who are dressed up and look like such angelic people but scratch the surface a little bit and that's not really where they are. Okay? So that was the answer to your question. Why is it called Vayetze? Because it's talking about our journey as well. Um, what did we, anybody who had a chance to look at the Parsha, what's going on here? He has a weird dream. He many has a weird dream. Wives. Many wives. Many wives. Oh, Does he get a new name yet or was that in a later part? Later, lots of sheep, lots of, sheep, lots of wives, wells. lots of wells. No wells, children. He doesn't have wells. No, no, he no. Get, he goes to the well. He goes to the well. That's true. Goes to the well. Um, but Yitzchak has a lot of wells. We have a lot of conversation with wells with Yaakov, as you said, Aviv. Lots of sheep. Rachel means a sheep. She's a shepherdess. He deals with sheep. His wealth comes from sheep. We're going to get into that. Um, we have the whole story of Rachel and Leah. We meet his... He has 11 out of 12 kids. No, he actually has 12 out of 13. Out of he actually has 12 out of 13. He's the 13th, Benjamin. He, ben, Benjamin is, gonna, is the 12th tribe, but the 13th child. He's born next week's Parsha. So, huh? He's the 12th tribe. Who is it? Benjamin. No, the child. Oh, who's, oh, and Dina. He has one daughter. One daughter who's named in the Parsha, Dina. So he has 11 sons and one daughter in Haran. This is the cliff notes of the story, and then at the end, he goes back. And we have lots of conversation about the sheep in the middle. I'm sorry, what? Dina has a tribe? No. No, no. So there are 12 tribes and one, one daughter. daughter. Right. Okay. 12 sons are going to be tribes and one daughter. Okay? So I think that pretty much is the highlights of the Parsha. Let's look inside and see what's going on a little bit, okay? So um, the first thing that happens is that he leaves, and Rashi says... A um, little bit of weird phraseology. You don't usually say, you left this place to go to that place. Like, when you leave, you leave. And what does Rashi say? Rashi says that when a tzaddik leaves a place, he, is there, he, he leaves an imprint. When he leaves, it's noticeable that he left. So it says when he leaves... It, uh, um, um, it says here... It tells us that when a tzaddik leaves a place, it makes an impact. Shibizman shat tzaddik ba'ir. When the tzaddik is in the city, hu hayda, he's its glory. Hu ziva, he's its shine. Hu hadara, it's also another word for glory. When he leaves from there, all of that leaves. And I think one of the first things that, that um, you know, maybe to, to look to ourselves and say, what do we need to learn from this, is that we need to make an impact wherever we are. 
We need to be proud Jewish women wherever it is that we are. And that when we go from point A to point B, people are like, where's that person who used to help out at the, at the shul? Where's the person who used to invite people? We're like, we need to do, we need to live a life of involvement so that not only because, oh, when you leave, you'll be missed, but I think that's really where you say, where am I, what am I doing in life? Is it noticeable? Am I making an impact? The first place is in your own little community, am I involved and am I making an impact? And again, not because, oh, when you go someplace else, they should notice that you're gone, but that's a really a good, a, a good way to live is an involved way to live. And am I being part of the community and being part of what's going on around me? And as Amber said, he, he bumps into this place. Vayifka literally means he bumps into this place. And he, has, he takes some stones. He lays down. What? You love the story. Okay, I want to say there's, there's, there's a very lovely thing. There's a very weird thing about the story, right? It says that he, meets, he comes to this place and he puts the stones around his head. And he has a dream. What's his dream? Up and down the ladder. The ladder with angels going up and down. Okay, he has it. So the, the weird part about the whole thing, which Chassidus talks about a lot, is why put stones around your head? First of all... Not under. No, not under. Around your head. But I'm saying not only not covered. He's, it's, and, and Rashi says he's protecting his head... From the animals. From the animals. He's protecting... Okay, can I just say, you could actually just like go over the stones like that wouldn't be so hard and what about the rest of your body like that's not important like maybe he was just very tired and not thinking it through that could be an answer but i'm going to vote that that is not the answer oh no the answer is completely different in the rashi okay does it have something to do with like he's protecting himself from asa so not asa specifically Mm -hmm. but the question not like a halo but maybe that's where the halo Mm -hmm. image comes from it is where the halo image comes from but but hasidus it talks about what is the most vulnerable to the elements um, in a person? Not only physically, meaning you could get frostbite on your fingers, I'm not talking about that, but when you're going, he's going from a good place to a not good place. Where is the effect potentially gonna be felt the first? In your head. You're gonna feel the change in your attitude, you're gonna feel the change in your thinking, and Yaakov says, like, my hands and feet, my behavior, sababa, whatever, we'll figure it out. What can I not let be affected by my travels and where I'm going? How I look at the world, how I look at God, how I look at things. Where everything that's in my head, that has to be protected. So he isn't actually only protecting himself from the animals so they shouldn't just come and rip his head off because clearly the stones are not going to be super effective as a, you know, it's more of a metaphor that he's doing of creating a place of this is important and I want to make sure that my headspace doesn't change in my travels. And then we have the dream. This is a dream that has lots of conversation, lots of discussion going on. What's his dream? He sees Sula Mutsav Artsa, a ladder that is firmly planted into the ground, and the top of it goes into the heavens. Okay? Different Mepharshim talk about a lot of different things. I want to bring a couple of points. First of all, most Mepharshim agree that there were four rungs on the ladder. So if you're going to say from, hev- from earth to heaven, there are only four rungs. <laughs> what are the four rungs for? What's the... Oh, the, the pieces, like... Steps. Uh, well, the real word for it is a rung. Not an American word, it's a real English word. It's a rung. <laughs> the rungs of a ladder. So there are four rungs. So in Hasidus, it talks about the idea, the Melshantar brings the idea that that ladder represents prayer, our daily prayer, how we start in a place and we're 
sort of very implanted in the earth. We aren't feeling super spiritual, but as we go for the four steps of prayer, we're going through the Pesuke de Zimra and the Shema, the Brachas before Shema, the Amida, the whole situation, we're sort of moving our way up and we're going to go from a place where we're like very earthy to a place where we're actually more spiritual. Um, Rashi says, Amber, since you quoted this on your status on Sunday, yeah. What what does Rashi say? Oh, so Rashi said that the rocks around his head. Oh, you did the oh you that's oh, the rocks. Yeah, that. Okay, you can do the rocks. Okay, but I was asking. Yeah, I want to hear about the ladder. Okay, well can I do the rocks first? Yes, you can do the rocks oh, first. Thank you. So Rashi said that the rocks around his head were arguing over what rock that um, Yaakov could sleep on, and it's like why are they arguing? It's because he's such a sadekus and such a sadik that they wanted the honor of being slept on. So Hashem turned all the rocks into one rock. So that's why it says um, that he placed. Around that he, he lay down to sleep in that place, so only like one place. Right, so at the end, he picks up one stone, he puts he places the rocks around his head, and after he wakes up, he picks up the rock. And so it seems that there's only one rock there. Um, and perhaps one of the things that we could take away from that is that there isn't it isn't my way or the highway, that all of the ways that we come to God have to somehow be unified. There has to be, we have to, all of our visions and all of our. I have the answer, have to all be joined into one cohesive space that could really cradle um, whoever needs to rest on it. I also heard that um, the rock, the 12 rocks fighting were sort of, um, sort of, it's like tying into the explanation of um, why Jerusalem isn't really named verbatim, like in the Flemish, because um, if the rock had known what the city was, which is the tribes, it would have been like civil fighting and fighting, just like the rocks here. Oh, yeah. cool. Cool. Okay, the next Rashi. And the next Rashi, Sula Art. So what does Rashi say? Because this is going to tie into what I have to say at the end of class, and if I don't get to it, please somebody remind me. What's the, what's the story? What's going on with the, with the ladder? What does Rashi say? The ladder. Yeah, tell me about the ladder. What does he see on the ladder? Anybody? Angels. Angels. He sees the angels going up and down. And Hannah, what does he say about the angels? What does Rashi say? It corresponds. That's no. That's a different one. So it's like the, <laughs> that's a different, different, different thing. They're accompanying him in the land of Israel, and they're exactly. not allowed to leave the land. Exactly. So basically, what you see, he sees angels going up and going down, and coming down, and everybody's like, "Hello, you come." If it's a heaven earth thing, they should be coming down and then going up. Why are you going up and coming down? So Rashi says because Yaakov had angels that protected him all the time, and the angels of the Holy Land could not leave the barriers of the Holy Land, and as he's now going out, and he's leaving to Haran, which is, maybe it's in Iraq, maybe it's wherever it is, um, as he's going out, so the angels that are going to accompany him to Chutzlaretz, to the, out of the land of, you know, out of the Holy Land, they're, they're switching. There's a changing of the guard going on over here, so the ones that have been with him till now are going up, the other ones are coming down, and he's going to continue so on his journey. Okay? Which, PSA means we're always protected. Right? We don't have to be a Yaakov. We might, he might have sensed it, but we are always protected wherever we're going. There, that, you know, I think it's angels. very interesting that, um, like, I find that, like, Yaakov as a person, you see, like, obviously, in the beginning, he just ran away. Obviously, he did something that wasn't like, the best of things. Yes, he did it, like, whatever. He got that blessing. But he ran away in fear. I don't particularly think he was, like, feeling that presence of God. Like, he was literally leaving the land, which his grandfather, like, have that it's, relationship it's, with. And I think it's really interesting that when he had that dream, he sees the angel coming down. It's like, I'm still here with you. Right. It's, it's going to actually be his first 
revelation from Hashem that's recorded in the Torah because on the top of the angel he sees Hashem um, he sees Hashem you know and Hashem says I will be with you and I will protect you and the whole that whole thing is going on over there but it's interesting that Yaakov actually has a dual purpose in leaving on the one hand as you said he's running away from his brother who wants to kill him on the other hand what is his direct mission for leaving if anybody remembers from last week trick question we didn't actually get to it what is the direct reason that he's leaving the land of Israel now? No, so that's the first thing. Rivka knows that Asaph wants to kill him. So he said, Alicia, Alishava, find a wife. He has a, his, his mother tells his father, I can't bear it if he marries these Canaanite women. So his father brings him in and says, go to Haran, go to your, our, your uncle's house. And it's freezing now, yeah? Yeah, can I just... Yeah, yeah. Um, go to your father's house and, um, and go find a wife. So he's, his, his leaving is actually dual-purposed. There's a, um, his mother, on the one hand, is like, go save your life so you don't get killed by your brother. And his father and his mother are also saying to go and to find a wife. So he has almost a negative and a positive reason that he's leaving the Holy Land, which is going to be uh, relevant for later. Okay, so he has, this, he has this dream. The angels are going up and down. And, and then he wakes up and, he's, and he, he says, wow, I, I didn't realize what a holy place this is. I didn't realize where he was. Somehow he had ended up in a place and he... Um, and he, uh, he didn't know where he was. Um, one second. Okay. Um, so that, so, okay. So he, he wakes up in verse seven and 16. And he says, How is it possible that Hashem is in this place that I didn't know? And one of the things following on uh, what Aviv was saying, it, it calls the place Hamakom, this place. And Hasidus talks about that wherever we are, wherever is the makom that we are, the place that we are, Hashem could be there. There's not only one place that it's possible to find Hashem, but if we are able to open our eyes and to see it, we will see sometimes anochi loyodati. I didn't know, I had no idea that it was going on over here, but, uh, but, but Hashem is available wherever we are. And he, um, and he said, wow, what an awesome place this is. This is the place of Hashem. And he wakes up and he takes the stone and he says, and he says, which is interesting, Yaakov make, in verse 20, he makes a vow because remember he had, Hashem said to him that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to guard you and I'm going to bring you back here, blah, blah, blah. So then in verse 20, he says that if Hashem will be with me and he will guard me on my way and uh, wherever I go, Vinasandi lechem lechol ubeged bilbosh. He'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and I come back in peace to my father's house. And Hashem will be my God. And this stone that I that I set here will be a house of Hashem. This will be a house of God, and I'll give I'll give tithes of everything that I, that I have. So Hashem just promised him that. Hashem just said, "I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bring you back, and everything's going to be okay." So what is he saying? Um, if Hashem is with me, and also. What else would you do with bread? So, he, but he says, "Give me bread to eat and clothes to wear." Like, what was option B? Art installations? Like, I don't think he had that. Like, what was he gonna do with this stuff? Was he like making like a conditional thing, like, like Hashem, like you do this for me and I'll do this for you? So, so it sounds like that. It yeah. sounds like that. That that, which is kind of interesting because Hashem just said, "I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna guard you the whole time." And he's like, "If you're with me and you give me bread to eat and clothes to wear and." And I come back in peace, then um, then I'll be then I'll then then you'll be my God, and and Hasidus zooms out and says back to our neshama, and what is the ultimate purpose 
of being in this world is to make this whole world a home for Hashem, to make this place, this world, a place that's ready to greet Mashiach. And today in our lives, we don't have, we don't get lechem lechol. When we get, well, okay, today we live in a place you can go to the store and you can buy it. But a little bit, go back a little bit further, you got wheat and you had to process it and you had to do something with it. And the same thing with clothing. You would have materials that you had to weave and da da da, making the material, right? In Mashiach's times, we're not going to have all the steps to create the things that we need to have our, to have our, to, to have our life sustained. So Yaakov is in a way saying, I want to come back ready for Mashiach. I want to come back in a place that is a time where the lechem lechol, the, the bread can already be, in the clothes could already be worn. It doesn't need any more working and interacting and doing to make it that way, but it could just be, and that's going to be a messianic space of, so that's really what he's saying. I'm going to go, what? I don't know, the air just turned back on. I don't see here. <laughs> I don't know, we'll, we'll wait a few minutes and we'll see what's going on. If we're all freezing again, we'll switch it. Um, it smells like the heat. It's all the heat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 when I and uh, and he says uh, uh, and I'm going to come back in peace to my father's home. He's not only talking about coming back to the land of Israel. But he's talking about the, the neshama after 120 years, or in his case, longer, uh, going back to Hashem, coming back enriched from its day down on earth. Um, then it will all be, and then it will have all been worth, and he'll make a home for God. Okay. Did Esau also have a neshama? What? Did his brother... Have a neshama? Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm going to say... I don't know how neshamas work, but Esau and Yaakov were both born of the same two parents. Probably whatever one had, the other one had. That would be my... Sorry, that would be my semi-professional... My uh, semi-professional guess on that one. Okay, so then he continues to move, and he goes... Um, so he goes to, he starts, he continues, now, now that he has this, this promise from Hashem that everything's going to be okay, he goes, he gets to the well, because where else do you find your wife? You find your wife at a well, right? <laughs> it's like the water you hold at the office, right? So he goes and, um, and he sees three groups of shepherds, and they're, they're waiting there, and they can't get the water, they can't get, the, the well is covered with a big stone, and... Um, and he says, like, why are you waiting here? Why aren't you doing this, right? And they say, basically, we need everybody in order to, in order to move the stone and get the water. Yeah? Everybody's familiar with that part of the story? Right? So Hasidus says, if I were to ask you, what is a water analogy? Torah. Torah. Water is Torah. Okay? And there is something blocking the Torah from coming out. The people cannot get it. And they need to have, they need to have all of us together because... You can't take the, the cover off of whatever's blocking with only love of Hashem or only fear of Hashem. You need to have three of them together. You need to have the, the love and the fear and the awe together, working together. And then when we're all together, we could lift the stone. But we know what is Yaakov's midah? Tiferes. And what is Tiferes? It's MS and it's a blend of chesed and gvor. So what is, ya- what is Yaakov able to do? The he takes the rock the off, exactly. He's able to take the rock off. He's able to get the water out. He's able to get the Torah flowing to the people. Um, so yes, he was also very, the Rashi says, he was very strong and he was able to get the water, you know, get the sheep to, to get them the water to give to the sheep. But also, if you step back a little bit, it is also this place of how do we interact with the world? We come to a place 
and there's water, there's Torah that is accessible to us, but not. There's something blocking it, whether it's in our extended, in our personal, we need to do, we need to apply both love of Hashem and fear of Hashem, and sometimes, if we're not a Yaakov, we need to get a group of people together. We need to have our, we have to need to have our sisterhood in order to help us move the rock so that the water is now accessible to us. So I guess my first bracha to all of us is that we should always be surrounded by sisterhood and people are always there to help you take the, wa- the rock off so that you can get access to the Torah that's so close but sometimes so far. Okay, and then we have... Oh, we are never going to get through this Parsha. Where do we want to go? <laughs> I'm freaking out. So let's what talk is? about the two wives. Four wives, not yeah, two. Yeah, the first two. Seven years? Seven years, about how like, seven years felt like days. Yeah. Well, that's, that's easy. And he got tricked because like, Lavan was not a good man. I feel like there's like what? The, 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 the tricking with the wives. Yeah, the right. tricks a good one. The re- the, okay, we're going to go to the trick. Okay, we're going to go to the trick. They meet, they go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, I want to say one thing before we go to the trick. Let's go to the, oh, that's it. Okay. Um, uh, what does Lavan do when he hears that Yaakov is there? Running. He runs to him, and what does he do to him? Hugs him. Like your he hugs him and he kisses him. That's what you would like to say. He's like his family. What is Lovan's previous experience with a child from the Abrahamic dynasty? Elder had, had a lot of like money. Right. He the last time he was there with his sister, the servant came with ten camels with stuff. He's like an Abraham grandchild is coming awesome runs out and sees he has nothing nothing sees nothing so he hugs him and he's like rashi says he's patting him down and then he kisses him maybe he had gold in his mouth maybe he like which sounds a little gross but i'm just saying like right he's like where where's money how is it possible and rashi actually answers the question do you think that yitzchak sent yaakov to find a wife with nothing no he sent him with loads of stuff but what happened? What happened? On his way, Rashi says, who caught up with him? The son of Esav, Eliphaz. Eliphaz, you know, Yitz, Yaakov's on the way. To tra- he's traveling. Esav's like, great opportunity. We're going to get him now. He sends Eliphaz, go kill your uncle. I mean, the, fight, the family dynamics have got to be sketchy over here, right? Um, go kill your uncle. And he catches up to him. And Eliphaz is conflicted. And Eliphaz says, Keep it of. We honor our father. Look at my father. The biggest mitzvah my father has is that he honors his father, right? If you go to, you go to, you know, Italian families, you honor your parents. That's a that's an ace of legacy, right? Rome is from ace of. So he's like, I need to honor my father. My father says to kill you, but Rashi says, Elifaz grew up in Yaakov, in Yitzchak's house. He grew up on his on his grandfather's lap, so he knew Yaakov very well, and he didn't want to kill him. He's like. What do I do? What do I do? So what does Yaakov tell him? Take all my money. Because the Gemara says that a, a poor person is like a dead person. Take all my money. You will technically have fulfilled your father's wishes, and I am now like a dead person, and um, I will be alive, so I'll be really happy about that. Where in the Midrash does it say? Rashi brings it, Rashi brings it here. Where? In Rashi, I think you'd say it. No, this is before. Over here, uh, in Pasuket Gimel. Uh, no, it's further on. Hmm. It's good. I forgot where it is, but it's here. It's in Rashi. Okay? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It says something very interesting. Where? So give me a chapter and verse. Yud Gimel. Oh, I did say Yud Gimel. It says yeah. something very interesting, like, when he meets, when he meets Rachel, like, yeah. Rachel. Um, he, sa- it's, he says that he, he like, hugs and kisses her, but, like, and he, it, like, so Rashi, he kisses her. Yeah, Rashi says that it was, like, maybe because he knew that he wasn't going to bear, he wasn't going to be buried with her. Correct. That, like, that, like, their family or something, but it was just, like, whoa, like, how does he already, he already, how does he already know that he was Sadiq can operate on different planes, but you're right. He, he does kiss her and he cries. He kisses her and he cries. And that's going to be because he sees he's not going to be buried with her, which means that on what, we're, going to, we're going to get to Rachel Alay in a second, I think. I think. I got distracted by Alifa's. So I want to say one thing about, um, about this situation. Um, um, here is a situation in a family where there are two children and one is a bad influence and one is not a bad influence. Within Yaakov and Esau, who would you say would, like, right? We could easily say that Esau was not a good influence on the family, right? And yet, when the parents come to a place, a decision that they need to somehow s- separate, you know, put the people in, who do they hold in the house and who do they send away? Bad influence on, they hold the bad influence in their house. And Yaakov, they send away. Now, it's all, there's all good reasons for this, right? He's going to go find a wife and everything. But as a parenting lesson, when we have issues um, with family, so one of, the, one of the lessons that we need to remember is that a child who is in pain, who is acting out, and not doing things the way a family would like to, the response has to be to hold them very tight and to hug them and to keep them close. In case you're worried about what's going to happen, that's a different conversation, but the child who's in pain, and, and the proof is that Alifaz, who is Asab's son, who's gonna be the father of Amalek, he has like lots of, lots of incest in his future situation going on. He's not like the nicest person. He was raised in his grandfather's house, and as a result of that, doesn't kill Yaakov, allowing the rest of us to be here. Think about that for a second. That's pretty powerful. Had, had they kicked Asaph out of the house when they realized what a terrible person he was, Alifas would never have had a relationship with his grandfather. Now, when he says, go kill your uncle, he would have killed him. He would never would have married any of the women. He would never would have had children. And history would have been totally different. So um, I, just, I think that's a, an interesting thing to think about. Okay. So then, uh, so okay, we have so so Yaakov loves Rachel, Yaakov and love sorry Yaakov and Rachel share the same soul source. When we say that he loves her, it's because they have they're both the place of tzaddik. They're both the people who don't deviate from the right path. They just keep going straight, and they see wow. He sees this is like mamish my soulmate. Um, but as, as Elishava said, he's disturbed because he's not going to be buried with her, which means that there's some kind of disconnect that we don't actually end up together. And he doesn't know where that's happening or how that's going to happen. So we know what happens, the whole situation. He works for seven years, and they're going to have this whole, this whole wedding situation. And what happens? What happens? The switch, the switch. We have a switch. We have a switch. So we have... For seven years, Rachel knows that Yaakov is working to marry her, right? And when the, her wedding day comes and the makeup artist comes and the, and the here person comes, 
They say, Leah, come sit in the chair. And Rachel's like, whoa. Excuse me. Right? Right? But Rachel doesn't say that. Rachel says, there is a big problem coming up here that only I know about. What's the problem? That Yaakov and Rachel did not trust Lavan. They did not trust that he was going to honor his part of the deal. So they had made up signs between each other to prove that the other one was the other one. To prove Yaakov and Rachel to each other so they would prove that I am the person that you're supposed to marry because they were sure Lavan was going to do something. And Rachel looks at the situation and she's like, my sister's going to be mortified in public because she doesn't have this information. And she said, not on my shift. And she gives her sisters the signs that she made up with Yaakov. So Yaakov has no idea, really. And Rachel was also part of this, let's be honest, right? She could have not given Leah the signs. She gives, and she doesn't know. Whatever signs they had made up, there's a whole conversation with Gemara, what were the signs, da-da-da, whether it was phrases they were going to say or whatever. But, so, Rachel doesn't know that, we know, we're Monday morning quarterbacks, right? We know that she's going to marry Yaakov in another week. Like, we know that that's going to happen. She doesn't know that. She's like, my soulmate is going to be gone, and I can't have my sister be embarrassed. Because that is just terrible. So she goes, she gives her sister the signs, they have the whole wedding, and he, let's go to the, to the morning. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Um, who? What should Rachel do? Like, uh, like, didn't Leia know that they were... Leia knew. For sure Leia knew. Let, okay, let's go back for a second. Why were Leia's eyes weak and, and red? The, Rashi, right? Rashi says, why? Because why? she knew that she is about to marry Asa. Because there, everybody knew. There was, a, there was a situation, right? There's even one measure that says there were letters exchanged. You told us last week. Yeah, one second. So there was, there were some, there was, there was even one of the medrashim that says that there was a letter exchange between Rivka and Lavan. I have two daughters. You have two sons. Let's make a shidduch. So Leah grows up knowing that she's supposed to marry Love, marry Asim. Now let me ask you: Is Leah going to protest now? No. 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 She's not going to protest. Rachel. You know, we're also looking at it with twenty twenty two eyes. We're looking at it as a situation where. She is going to get up and she's going to protest and they're going to listen to her. This is not the situation that we're talking about over here. That's not the situation over here. So Rachel does the second best thing that she could think of. How do I prevent my sister from being mortified in public? And that is to take my hand off my heart, give her the signs, and, and wish them well. There, there's no other option for her. I also saw her reading later when Leia was like, it's not nothing to I know, right? And you're wondering, like, what? aren't you sort of the one? Um, so the reading was that um, Leia did not know that Yaakov was intended for Ruffel. And when Ruffel gave her the sign, she sort of said it like, oh, by the way, Yaakov wants you to know this. Because she wanted to get the extra step further, where, like, she completely would not be embarrassed. She wouldn't feel bad at all. She would so, so I be heard- overly kind. So the truth is, I heard such a thing. And, and I have to say that there's a part of me that is incredulous that that's possible. 
how is it possible? I'm not saying it, I'm not saying he doesn't have a real source, but the, the the skeptic part of me is like, how is it possible that he worked for Rachel for seven years? This is not like a quick little shidduch thing, right? How is it possible he worked for her for seven years and Leah never knows? There's also like in the same reading they say like um, the reason he couldn't tell the difference between the two is because he was being so like pious and he wasn't like having really any contact with the sisters. Guess what? Guess what? There were no lights. <laughs> there were no electricity there's it's very easy how he doesn't know who it is like there's no light it's it like there's a reason that this is all going on right what okay so then what happens so what happens in the morning in the morning what happens uh, I lost the pasuk. Uh, where are we I've lost the pasuk. Oh, over here. Oh, chapter 29, verse 25. So it's in the morning, day after the wedding. Vihine hi Leah and Lovil. It's Leah. Vayomer Lovin. So now Yaakov goes to Lovin and says, What did you do? How could you do this to me? And he, and Lovin, Lovin, Mr. White, Mr. I'm so pious and so things says, We don't do this in our community. You can't marry the younger before the older. It doesn't work like that over here. Right? Now, if you take a look in Pasukhate, look in the Hebrew, we have a very interesting thing. Pasukhate says, Vihine, he, well, the, the reading is he, but the letters are who. If you take a look at the letters, the letters are who. We read it as he, but the letters are who. So the Medrash inserts here, Amber, like we said, I started yet, yeah, last week I mentioned to some of the people, that in the morning when he sees Leah, Yaakov's like, what? My word's not his, right? Yeah. Right? Hello? How could you trick me? And she says, everybody needs to learn from somebody. Who do you think I learned it from? <laughs> right? Who went into their father's house and took their brother's brachas? So, right? So that's what the that's what the measure shows. So then we don't have that interaction here. We don't have that interaction here. Here we have him going on to love it and saying, well, right? Um, Hasidus backs, back ends it and says, what, what is Leah saying? Is she just like giving a clever answer to him? Is that what he's doing? Is that what she's doing? She's just giving like, like a sharp answer. Well, I learned from you. Ha, ha, ha. Like that's how what's going on over here. So, in, so Hasidus explains that we know that Yitzchak actually saw the world as being a joint, whatever, endeavor of Yaakov and Esau together. That Yaakov and Esau together were supposed to make this world a holy place. Not that he didn't understand that Esau was not a perfect person now, but he was hoping that with getting the brachas, he would be able to sort of come back to a holy place, and then he and Yaakov would be able to work on it together. Rivka saw the situation and understood that that is not how it's going to work, that Esau will in fact get the brachas, but only through Yaakov. That it's going to be Yaakov's job to elevate Esav and to elevate the brachas that Esav is supposed to have. So Rivka finagles the situation that one person got both of the brachas. So Leah says, ya- says to Yaakov, in that first vision of Yaakov and Esav, each of the brothers had a wife and each of the brothers had six children. You took your brother's brachas, that means you also have his wife, and his six children. So we see that Leah is going to end up having six of the tribes. 
Ra- Rachel's going to have two. Zilpah's going to have two. Bill's going to have two. They're going to end up having six from one end, six from the other. Yaakov's going to have, Yaakov's going to have 12 because he ended up with both of the brachas, with the brachas of Esav and of Yaakov because we know that Yaakov got, had a separate bracha that he got at the end. The Abrahamic blessing was always meant for Yaakov. But the physical blessings, the, ple- the blessings of, of, of dominion and wealth and all the kind of stuff, all of that was supposed to go to Esav. Yaakov thought that, Yitzhak, Yitzhak thought they would work, work together. Rivka thought it wasn't possible. So Leah's like, he didn't just get the brachas. He also got his responsibility. His area of responsibility is his wife and his children. I was supposed to marry Esav. But now that you have the brachas, I'm yours as well. Then we have the situation of wait a week. That's how we learned the mitzvah of Sheva brachas. That we have to wait till the Sheva brachas were over. Then Yaakov marries Rachel. And they continue, then they have children. We have a lot more stories going on over here. Oh, we're doing fine for time. Okay. Um, so let's quickly, let's quickly build, can we erase this? Yes. We have to. We have to. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh my gosh, we have to turn off the heat. I'm falling asleep and I'm talking. Sorry. The never ending. The never ending. Okay, so we have Yaakov. Okay. Marries. Leah. Okay, and then he marries Rachel. Okay, somebody open the psukim and tell me who. This is, by the way, seven years after he comes to Haran, right? The first seven years he worked for Lavan. Then what, is, then what happens afterwards? Leah starts having children. Yeah. Who are her children? Reuven. She has Reuven. Oh, this doesn't work. Just garbage for you. Am I the only one who ever throws out markers? Yeah. yeah. Ruvain. Shimon. Shimon. Let's say I'm actually going to number it like this. Okay. Levi. Levi. Okay. And then what happens? Then what happens? Then Rachel's like, Hello. Hello. I'm kids. Zilpah. Right. So Rachel says. So Rachel says, Take my maid, Zilpah. And her children will be like my children. And who does Zilpa have? Shimon? No. Don and. No. Wait, didn't Leah have. Follow the numbers. Follow the numbers. Don and Nakhali. She has Don and Nakhali. Okay, and then what happens? Then Leah. So her maid servant, Bilha? Yeah, Bilha. And then she has Bilha, and she has two kids. Who does she have? God, Asher. God and Asher. Okay. And then what happens? Leah has more. Then Leah has more children. Okay. Seven. Then we have child number eight. Who's now child number eight? Yehuda. Yehuda. Is the is he bad? Is, no. Oh, never mind. Then. Yisachar And then she has child number 11. Who's child number 11? Um, Dina. 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 Okay, here's child number 11. Dina, Rashi says when Dina was born, Leah looks at herself and says, actually Rashi says that Leah was a prophetess and she saw that she was carrying a boy. Mm-hmm. And this was before ultrasounds. She saw that she's carrying a boy and she says, if I have a boy... My sister Rachel has less than the maidservants because each of the maidservants had two children. Okay, so she davened and she changed the sex of her child 
from a boy to a girl. When I was looking at the Pasha, yeah. I read something, it was saying um, Rachel never conceived because she was jealous of Leia and Hashem was like punishing her for the jealousy. And um, when she finally like kind of got over that jealousy and like, made Teshuva, she became pregnant at the same time as Leia was pregnant with Dina. So she was meant to have the girl, but Hashem did the swap. And then who does Rachel have? Yosef. Um, Yosef. Yosef and Benyam. But she doesn't have Benyam. Yeah. She has Yosef. And when she names him Yosef, she says, Yosef Hashem li ben acher. She calls him Yosef because Hashem, she wants Hashem to give her one more son. Because she knows there's supposed to be 12 tribes. She wants child number, tribe number 12, which would be child number 13. It's going to be Benjamin, Benyamin. And he's actually going to be born in next week's Parsha. That's why he's in brackets. He's not born in Haran, and as soon as Yosef is born, Yaakov's like, we're out of here. We're going back to the land of Israel. As soon as he has, and Rashi says, as soon as he has Yosef, who is the antidote to Esav, he can go back. And then we have the beginning of that conversation of sheep and sheep and sheep and sheep and the negotiations with Lovelin. You got it? Yeah? You see, just see what, you see what our board looks like? And this is why I don't usually write, uh, no, I love writing board, but I have terrible board handwriting. Next time we'll get Hannah to write, it's pretty. <laughs> this is it, I did colors, we're, we're good, right? I'm um, it to my digital um, um, As soon as Yosef is born, then we start Yaakov saying, I want to go back. He has the antidote to fight Esav, and he wants to start the situation with the sheep. And what's going to happen is we're going to have all kinds of stuff going on with sheep. What? <laughs> What? No, funny. It is funny, right? It's like so weird. Yeah. There's like, first of all, it's weird. Second of all, <laughs> it's weird because there's so much detail about the conversations about the sheep. Yaakov says to Lavan, I want to leave. And yet Lavan's like, oh, I was so successful because of you. And okay, so pay me in sheep. Pay me in sheep. And they make up, you know, you get all the spotted sheep that are going to be born. Now you understand, this is not like an overnight process, right? They... And then, so they separate the sheep, and Lovin takes out any single sheep that possibly has any kind of color, leaves him with all the white things, and lo and behold, all the sheep that are born are whatever the agreement is. So if it's spotted sheep that he's supposed to get, it's spotted sheep. If it's supposed to be speckled sheep, it's speckled sheep. If it's supposed to be, whatever it is, whatever it's supposed to be, and every time Lovin sort of pulls out every genetic possibility of it being what it's supposed to be, whatever the agreement is, Yaakov is quiet, he goes ahead with it. It's an interesting thing. We have a conversation in the Pasuk how Yaakov took strips of wood, like uh, branches of wood, and he stripped them, and he put it into the water, and when the sheep saw that, they became heated, and therefore the children that were born were whatever designs he put onto the strips. Now I want to say, that does not work genetically. <laughs> he took the wood, right? A wood has like the... Like bark. the drier part, the bark. Mm-hmm. There's the drier part and the white part under. So if you strip it off, you'll, you get two colors. So he was making pictures with the sticks of what his, he was supposed to be getting. Hasidus says that when he was doing that, he was actually bringing down the revelation of Hashem that is brought down when we uh, put on tefillin. Well, we yes. don't put on, when men, when, when men put on tefillin. Those, that revelation, that whatever it is, that spirituality that comes down when men were tefillin, was happening when Yaakov was doing this. 
So clearly there's something going on. There are lots of Maimarim and Hasidists that discuss what is the difference spiritually between the spotted sheep and the speckled sheep and the... We're not going to go there, okay? I want to say two things. First of all, the sticks that Yaakov, so to speak, put on tefillin with, because it was a pre-signing experience, once he finished doing whatever Aveda he was doing, they were, no longer ho- they were no longer holy. They could be used for a barbecue. They could be used as a walking stick. It was irrelevant. They did not hold the holiness because it was a pre-Sinai situation. Post-Sinai, obviously, you have a book that's holy. You have things that are holy. That holiness being able to be imbued into the reality, that's a post-Sinai reality. So that's one thing I want to say. The second thing that I want to say is that we, we're going to find out in next week's Parsha when Yaakov goes to meet Esav, he doesn't only have sheep. He has all kinds of stuff. He has donkeys and maidservants and oxen and blah, 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 right? But what did he do? And Rashi says, how did he get all his stuff? He, he sold his sheep and he bought other things. So there's a place that the sheep are like the underlying factor of all of his, of all of his wealth. It's Canaanite currency. What? It wasn't. It was his personal currency. So Hasidus wants to know, what's so great about sheep? What do you need? What's the point with the sheep? What do we need all the sheep for? Huh? He went back, but he took his wives. No, he took his wives. He took his wives and his children, he took everything. But he also had all this wealth that he didn't have coming. So Hasidus says, what is the overriding factor of sheep? What is the, the, the characteristic most familiar? You're from New Zealand. You better answer that question. <laughs> huh? I know. What's, what's sheep? Huh? They need to be led. They need to be led. Wool. They're gentle. Wool. They're gentle. They're kosher. They're kosher. But they're also, they're not goats. They're, they're, they're not running around and being crazy. They're very, you know, when they say sheep-like behavior, it's like, yalla, we'll go just go. Flow. Exactly. Go with the flow. I'm going to just, whatever it is, I'm going to just do it, right? Huh? So all of those things, that, that image, when we talk about Yaakov, the first thing, that we're going back to Anishama coming down, the first thing that we need to know that in our relationship with Hashem, the first thing that we need to know, we have many, many ways that we are described in our relationship with Hashem, a husband, like a bride and a groom, a, 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 a vineyard and a watcher, we're also uh, parents and children, and we're also described as a shepherd and sheep. And the first thing that we have to know about our relationship with Hashem is that there is a place where we need to be and accept and follow. You know, like I always think, why did, why did all the, sh- later on we're going to have the tribes, they were all shepherds, they all watched sheep, right? What's the big deal about watching, watching sheep? You basically have to get them to point A and then bring them back, right? <laughs> it's not like goats. Goats, you have to like, they're going to run all over the place. Like it's a big job. But if you're watching sheep, you bring them to some place, you give them some grass, then you could sit and you could play on your flute, you know, whatever, your, whatever instrument you were playing, whatever the current sadik was. You know, David was a shepherd, the tribes were shepherds, so many people were shepherds, and you had time to think about Hashem and meditate and do all this kind of stuff. It wasn't, it w- the first thing that we need to know in our avoid is Hashem, is we need to be there for Him. We need to be like a sheep. We need to just follow along with the program. Once we have that as a firm foundation, that Kabbalah soul, that we're in this relationship with Hashem, from there you could trade your sheep and you could get oxen, and you can get donkeys, and everything that they refer to in Kabbalah, the strength of one, the, the sturdiness of the other, the wisdom of the third, we're, we're, not just, we're not just sheep, but the first thing, and the basis of Yaakov's wealth and his whole relationship with Hashem, is going to be based on sheep, on this place of Hashem, whatever you need me to do, 
I'm going to be there. I'm going to just show up and I'm going to do whatever it is that you need me to do. Once I'm there and I have that solid, okay, now how do I do it? Do I need to engage in my ox personality, in my mate? Like, there's different ways that we do things. We're not just, oh, sit back and, you know, we know those people who just sit back and everything should be taken care of for me and it'll, whatever. It doesn't sound like a pretty picture. But the first place in our relationship with Hashem is to say, yeah, God, we're with you. We're here. We're, we want to be part of this relationship and we're not going to fight you. We're going to just work with you and you're going to lead us and we're going to follow. We're going to accept. And within that, we're going to then grow and we're going to have our own expression within that place. The last thing that's going to happen, I can't believe it. Okay. Um, the last, the, I just want to finish with one thing because then they, they end up leaving and there's a whole it's a whole balagan of what goes on when they leave. We'll, maybe we'll pick up on some of the things. Afterwards, we have a situation where Rachel, on the way out, steals her father's idol. She tucks it under her and her camel. And so when he comes around looking for his idols, he chases them out. And he's like, you left without telling me, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, so she has the idols. And just to be, just, um, to be careful that um, Lovin tells them that... Uh, uh, basically Yaakov, when Lovin says, and you stole my gods, he's like, Yaakov says, whoever, I can't find it over here, because uh, I'm not going to, I forgot to mark the Pasuk, that whoever took the trough and whoever took your gods should die. Why? Should die. Yeah, and, and, huh? And some of the Mepharshim talk about, he didn't know it was Rachel, some of the Mepharshim talk about that the power of a tzaddik when he says something, even if it was like unconditional or he didn't really mean it, it is going to have an effect. And part of the reason that Rachel ends up dying is because Yaakov said, whoever took the truffle should die. Truffle. Those little idols. Okay? But that's not really what I wanted to talk about now. The end, the end, chapter 32. So Lovan goes back. They have this whole last encounter. And then Yaakov keeps going. Yaakov goes on his way. The Yaakov Halachodarko. And what happens in Sigazunt in Pasuk Beis, chapter 32, verse 2, what happens? Vayifku bo elokim, and the angels of God bump into him again. We started our parsha with angels, and we're leaving. So Yaakov says, when he sees them, he say, he say, he, when he sees the, the camp of Hashem, he says, Shem hamakamahu machanayim. He calls the name of the place Machanayim, that there are now two camps of angels with him. So I want to point out three differences from our first encounter with angels and our second encounter with angels. First of all, the first time, the beginning of our Parsha, when he sees angels, Yaakov is asleep. He doesn't see them. He dreams about them. At this point, after he's done 20 years of service in Lavan's house, he's elevated himself to a position, or spiritually, that he now can see the angels while he's awake. So he actually sees them after he's done all this. And this 20 years was Yitzchak's still alive. Okay. Yeah. Then, that's one thing. The other thing is, when we first had the angels come, they switched places. It was a changing of the guard. This time what happens is that both of those, uh, both of those group of angels stay together. He calls the place Machanayim, the plural. There are two camps of angels with me. And Hasidah says, what does that mean? The, can- the angels of the Holy Land and the angels of outside of the Holy Land because the first part of Yaakov's life, when he's leading, he's only ever engaged in holiness. What was Yaakov's, 
he used to sit and learn and all this kind of stuff, right? He wasn't a shepherd and fathering children and, and, and engaging with a lover who wants to trick him. He was just doing Holy Land stuff. And now, once he's been involved in elevating the physical, now he's able to have both of those camps of angels, the angels of Chutzlar, it's the angels, the angels that don't deal with only the Holy stuff. They're there to accompany him and both of them escort him back. If we're going to close the circle of the, of the neshama coming down to the earth, coming down to earth and being bodied and having a life here at the end of our lives, and it should be in a really, really, really long time, and Kenya Bas Brachad should have an immediate recovery and have many, many years to do her Aveda, um, we, we come back not just with spiritual gifts for Hashem. Our neshama is enriched also by our interactions with the physical and the places that we've changed the physical into holiness uh, by your interactions with them. So I want to give us all a bracha. <sighs> There's so much going on in the puzzle. I don't even know where to start. That is the honest truth of the matter. You know what? I'm going to give a bracha from something that we didn't really talk about. Ooh, okay? Good. I'm going to add a new thought. And we're going to, okay? This is, the first, this is the first parsha, not the last, but it's the first parsha that we start talking about Rachel and Leah. And we ultimately, Hasidus talks about the idea that Rachel and Leah were in fact two people, but on a spiritual sense, Rachel and Leah are two parts of the same behavior. The Rachel is what we are attracted to Rachel. The thing that is beautiful that we're attracted to that calls to us, that's one part of our avoida. The Leah is the part of our avoida that is harder for us. It's, we have to work that part. That part is not so smooth. It's not so easy. But whatever, what actually ends up happening for Yaakov, he's so, so attracted to Rachel. He lives the longest with Leah. He's buried next to Leah. He has the most children with Leah. The majority of his avoida in his life is with Leah. And so I want to give us a bracha that we embrace both our Rachel and our Leah. And we realize that we need, there are the things that are easy for us and the things that are smooth for us and the things that are more challenging for us. And in both of them is really where our avoida lies. Our avoida lies both in the things that are so nice and sweet and the things that challenge us and, pro- and, and provoke us to grow. Have an awesome rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.